All right. Assalamu alaikum, guys. Welcome to the Omapreneur Live podcast. And on this episode, I'm so excited to bring you my next guest, Nadim Azam. And before we dive in, I just want to introduce him to you. Nadim has worked with global brands like Hilton, Disney, Warner Bros, and more through his award-winning marketing agency, Azam Marketing. And as well, one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to bring him on is he is an entrepreneur that has been through lots of struggle, which is typical of an entrepreneur. There are things that you have to face and overcome. And so I'm sure that with his experiences and with his stories, we'll be able to learn so much about not only marketing and sales because of his experience, but also about the entrepreneurial journey and how to succeed as an entrepreneur. Nadim, I'm so happy to have you. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to this podcast. Wa alaikum salam, brother Abi. It's a real pleasure to be on your podcast. It's an honor to have you, my man. And just like I like to start every single podcast with this question, it's before we dive into the nitty gritty and before we dive into your expertise, can you just share with us a little bit about how you even got started as an entrepreneur? What was that transformation like and what made you decide to want to start your own business? Abi, I've been in business for a rather long period of time. My father was an entrepreneur and used to run import, export, cash and carries here in the United Kingdom, in the north of the country, uh, in Yorkshire. Wow, so okay. at a very, very young age, in classical Asian fashion, he had the whole family involved with his business. So from when I was eight to nine years old, I would go into his warehouse and help him and work with him on his business um, so even when I was a young child, I was doing all kinds of things related to, to his business, including re I remember sitting there counting thousands and thousands of pounds, not, not the kind of thing a nine-year-old child would be doing. <laughs> That's so, amazing, yeah. yeah. So literally nine, 10, 11 years old, involved with his business. And then throughout my teenage years, it was the case that I started doing various things along my own lines. So I was always obsessed with IT and with computers. And I started off playing computer games. And then from playing computer games, I became fascinated with how they were constructed. Mm. Um, I started to learn to code. I started to learn to program. And so I was sat in my bedroom uh, and would uh, make, make computer games. These were in the in the old days, so they literally were on cassette tapes. I'm not sure if many of your listeners would be, you know, even aware of how that wow. worked. But uh, I would make these self-made at home, and then I would advertise them in magazines, and people would order them by mail, and uh, I would I would make money that way. I, I run various other businesses in my teenage years as well, but uh, I've, I've been through quite a journey. That's honestly, I'd love to touch upon that. So you're saying that, can you just, what age were you when you were creating these computer games and actually putting out ads for them to sell them? What age was that? I was 13, 14, 15 years wow. old. Yes. Wow. So 13, 14, you were already thinking about, I have a product and how do I market this product and get it out to the world? Yes, I mean, there's so much work that goes into making these computer games. They were not as sophisticated as they are nowadays. Uh, we're talking about the 1980s now. But uh, at the same time, there was a heck of a lot of work involved and a lot of late nights sat in front of my computer making them. So at the very least, I wanted to have the opportunity to get people to enjoy these games. 
and hopefully make a few pennies from them. Wow, that's amazing, Mashallah. So you were you started this whole entrepreneurial thing at a young age, and it's really kind of like I wish I could say the same for myself. Like you heard the, all these stories of these entrepreneurs that they kind of had that flame and they were starting their own things at a young age, and it just it's so clear with you that you were already in a world where you wanted to build something and then you wanted to put it out there and find a way to get people to take advantage of whatever product you have built, and so. Now you are with Azam Marketing and you actually do this at a global scale for clients all over the world. How did you go from that young kid selling cassette tapes to this entrepreneur with his own marketing agency working with global brands? It's been a long journey. It's been a long <laughs> journey. So I, um, I wouldn't even know where to start with all the different uh, projects <laughs> involved in and the various jobs I've had throughout my career. But I got to the point in the 1990s where um, for a good few years, I was working as a journalist and I managed to work my way up from uh, small local newspapers all the way up to, to writing for national newspapers and getting my content published with those. Um, and I got sidetracked whereby there was a real initiative here in the UK to have a British Muslim identity. So until that mm. point, we'd been in the position where everybody was harking back to their land of their ancestors, whether it was Pakistan or Bangladesh or Somalia or wherever it may be. But there was an initiative whereby there was a number of publications that wanted to forge a British Muslim identity, say, saying, you know what, we were born here. And as much as we love you know, India or Pakistan or Somalia, this is our country. Just yeah. as Canada may be your country, Britain is my country. And so I got recruited by some people to work on publications that wanted to forge this identity and make British-born Muslims feel like there was something in terms of a publication that was catering to their needs and wants. So I okay. did that for a number of years. Um, the publication, one of them was called Q News Magazine, for example. Now, what happened was I did that and I worked extraordinarily hard in terms of writing for that publication. Um, believe it or not, I think just in terms of myself, I had four pseudonyms. And so that gives you an insight into just how much of the content I was writing single-handedly. Wow. Got to the point where literally we were so short resource that I was working 16 and 18 hours a day churning out articles to be published in this, uh, in this magazine. It got to the point where I actually didn't have the time to go home back to my own apartment. So I started living in the office. So I'd, I'd write away, I'd, I'd tap away and, and produce these articles until midnight. And then um, I had my own mattress in the office. And wow. so I would pull the mattress out of this cupboard and I would bring it into the, into the, into the middle of this magazine's office uh, put a put a duvet over me and push a pillow under my head and I would sleep in the middle of the office, then wake up again at 6 a.m. and then get back to, to writing the articles. Wow. It was a real labor of love. Um, but the, the tragedy was, of course, I mean, with these kind of publications, it didn't make any money. And you can do that for a number of years, but you get to a point where you realize, I have to start making some money now. I've got bills to pay. And is that, is that really when you started, you're like, okay, so you're working on this thing and you're six, again, 16 hours, but as you said, it was something that you loved. It was a labor of love. 
is that when you started thinking to yourself, okay, maybe I should start something on my own? And was that kind of like an overnight decision or did it take time to marinate before you actually made that transition? So with my background in IT, I'd grown to discover this newfangled mode of communication, um, the internet. And so I would spend more than my fair share of time in the computer laboratories of various universities and colleges, going to discover, you know, what this internet thing was all about. I didn't have, neither did most people have an internet connection at home. And I grew more and more curious about the internet during the 1990s. Mm. Got to the point in about 1996, when I thought there's some real potential with this. I mean, hardly anybody's using it outside of universities and the military, but this thing could really take off. So I spent a whole year. There was only one computer in our magazine office which had the internet. And so the fortunate thing was because I was effectively living in the office, I had the opportunity to use this other guy. His name was Ibrahim. He was a graphic designer. And I, I had the opportunity to use his, his computer when he would go home. So what I would do is I would wake up at 6 a.m. in the office and then he was coming into the office at 9 a.m. So for those three hours, I would explore the internet and I would read and study about Amazon's affiliate program and just be very curious about things like affiliate marketing and the Yahoo directory and how all of this fits together. And as I grew more and more conversant with this, I thought, you know what? It's non-commercial at the moment. And it's mainly, you know, like I said, acad academics communicating with each other and sharing resources. But there may be an opportunity to use this as a, as a means to mass communicate. Mm -hmm. So I was doing it through print medium with the magazines and the newspapers I'd worked at. But I thought this would be a more efficient way of conversing with a larger number of people at a lower cost. And uh, again, you, you were at, at, during this period was really, I would say, the, as you mentioned, the popularization of the internet, not only as uh, a medium, but also as a tool to grow a potentially grow a business or reach a larger audience. And uh, of course, back in, in 1997, we didn't have some social media channels like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Uh, and so it was a bit more traditional. W did you just think, okay, I'm going to use the internet as a way to reach clients, but then advertise locally? Or how, what was your advertising strategy or even your business strategy that you were going to go for during that period? So I had a fair amount of expertise with advertising and marketing. They effectively paid my bills. Mm -hmm. This magazine uh, had a very low cover price. We often gave the magazine away. And so the, the, the means by which we made money was was the advertising. And, you know, when we had a, a car manufacturer, for example, taking out a one-page advert in the magazine and paying us you know, 20,000 pounds, I really realized how important advertisers are. And I therefore wanted to go into that as, a, as an opportunity to make money. Writing, which was my true love, wasn't mm -hmm. making me any money, never had, and I thought wouldn't do unless you become a JK Rowling. So I thought, okay, this is a way whereby I can use my expertise with uh, with writing, with copywriting, combined with IT. 
Now, I had no opportunity to set up a, a marketing agency to compete with the existing marketing agencies that were out there. We had agencies here in the UK, such as Saatchi and Saatchi, which had been going for 30, 40, 50 years yes. since you know, the 60s. There was no way whatsoever I could compete with these guys working effectively from home or from, from an IT lab. And so I thought, okay, what can I do? Where can I find an opportunity within advertising to compete, uh, to, to not even have to compete with the, with the big guys? And that's where I saw the potential of the internet. Nobody was doing digital advertising. And I thought, okay, there's no way whatsoever I can go into television advertising, radio advertising, billboard advertising, or any other traditional form of advertising. But the internet, which inshallah will take off, is my opportunity to carve out a niche for myself and make some money. That, that, and that was the ability to really pinpoint uh, something before it became mass produced or even used by the masses. And I think that's one of the key aspects of really when you, there's something we call kind of like the blue ocean uh, strategy, right? In red ocean in business and the ability to pinpoint a business model or pinpoint an idea before it's being used by the masses or before it's flooded with competition, that's a blue ocean strategy or a blue ocean business model. And these are truly the business models that would be, I wouldn't say they're the easiest, but if you're, if you have the chance to get a, get an idea like this or to pinpoint an opportunity such as that one and actually go all in on it, you, your chances of success are much greater than for example, trying to do something that everyone else is doing and competing at the same time. And so you were able to find an opportunity there that not everybody was taking advantage of and use it to help other businesses grow. And I'm, I just love everything about this story. And I want to get a little bit more information out of you there. What was it like advertising online back then? Because again, you didn't have Facebook ads, you didn't have social media. So what was digital advertising back in the 97, 98? Very limited means there, there were. Um, we, we did have emails, um, Hotmail you know, came about uh, in, in the late 1990s. Uh, there were traditional websites. And in those days, it wasn't as difficult to rank as highly in the SERPs, in the, in the search engine rankings. Mm -hmm. So I would be able to create websites as an affiliate. And just to step back a little bit in case of some of your, some of your listeners and viewers are not aware, an affiliate is somebody who partners, who's a lead provider for companies and and sends traffic to those companies with the hope of making commission okay the traffic that one refers to them um, buys their product or service so i would partner up with companies such as amazon who were around in those days there was not amazon in the uk or, or in canada but there was amazon in the united states of america and so i would become an affiliate of amazon or Virgin Megastores, for example, and I would build websites where I would review books, games, uh, uh, and other products. Mm -hmm. uh, then the name of the game was to rank as highly as possible in search engines. Now, have you heard of a search engine, Abby, called Alta Vista, for example? Oh, that man. I, time, isn't it? That's that definitely... 
I remember it like faintly because I have older siblings and so I remember that era, but I have not used it myself enough to, to speak about it. Yes, uh, there were search engines which you wouldn't probably not have heard of uh, called uh, Hotbot, Lycos, Alta Vista, and a whole raft of others. And if you knew what you were doing, you could rank fairly high uh, with them. And by the by, the blessings of Allah, I would be in the position whereby I would rank higher than the brand themselves. So wow. now, now I'm, I'm not talking about Amazon. I mean, that's a different kettle of fish. But for example, here in the UK, we have a, you know, a fairly major retailer of music called Virgin, Virgin Megastores. Now, I got to the position where my affiliate website of theirs was ranked number one in the search engines and they themselves were ranked number two. That's amazing. And that's to hear that. And, and a lot of people might think like, you know, I, you need to create, I just want to touch on that. You, you need to create your own product or your own service, your own business to be able to make an income. But as we can see with Nadim, he was able to actually take other people's brands, other people's companies and products and find a way to make sales for them and get paid commission. And a lot of companies will do that for you to this day, actually, um, within the affiliate marketing sphere. And it's to actually, for example, if there's a product that you like, if there's a service that you like, if there's a business that you like doing business with, or you like what they do and what they offer, if you have an audience or you have a, a network, or even if just like Nadim, you're great at ranking websites in search engines, you can make articles, post about these products, these businesses, these offers, and send people to these businesses and they'll pay you a commission just for spreading the word. And you were able to start with that. How did you go from affiliate marketing to actually then directly marketing these companies? Did you then go to directly work with them as on a one-on-one -on -one basis or did you just continue affiliate marketing and that's how you kind of grew your agency? It's an excellent question. So what happened is as I started to evolve my business, I realized one thing, which was that these affiliate managers, the people who are responsible for their affiliate programs to converse with people like me and to grow their sales, kept asking me again and again how to do this, how to do that, kept asking for my advice and my consultancy. Uh, we're talking about 1998 now, 1999. And I would you know, tell them about things like, you know, how to get listed in the Yahoo directory or what they may need to do grow various parts of their operations or how to make their, their websites convert better. I mean, these were you know, nascent days and things were pretty shabby with most of their operations. If we now look back at how, efficiently the, the lead funnels are of, of e-commerce companies, etc. And so time and time again, I would be guiding them and sharing my expertise with them because by now I'd already spent three or four years doing this, but they were not paying me for that. And I thought, you know, okay, it's fair enough, but there's a real opportunity here whereby alongside being an affiliate, I can provide consultancy services to these retailers and to get paid for that. Right, 100%. And how are you able to get your foot in the door? So that's when a major question that I think a lot of people will benefit from is they might want to work with a client. They might have a service. They might have an offer. You had a great offer. You were able to demonstrate 
the fact that you had skills by yourself ranking their own businesses higher than they could rank in themselves. How did you then manage to get your foot in the door and position yourself for working with them on a one-to-one basis? Was it direct outreach, cold calling and, and reaching out personally? Or did you send an email? What was that process like? Once again, that's an excellent question. And that's the crux of the matter, how you manage to win these kind of contracts. Mm-hmm. And one really has to take things uh, holistically before you can even consider contacting these companies. The pieces need to be together in terms of your operations to be able to, to have the look, the feel, the operations, the professionalism that would even even encourage them to even look at you. So going back 3,000 steps, I had to professionalize my operations in a way that, you know, one can't even imagine. So having a a, a brand, having a brand. So my my own, you know, operations were pretty mediocre. uh, And my focus was on the companies I was an affiliate of. So I had to then create my own website. I had to then have a brand and a look and a feel and a logo and design and everything. And this involved an enormous amount of work. So to move from being what they call a bedroom affiliate to to running a a marketing and design agency is a huge leap. Mm. Uh, Just in terms of logos and documentation and brochures, talking about thousands and thousands of hours of work to set all of this infrastructure up so that the bigger companies would even consider, you know, putting you in in the short list of the companies that they're 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 shortlisting for their contracts. Yeah. And I think this is if if I may ramble on a little bit, I think this is where a lot of us fall short. This is where we're so eager to get out there and to contact these companies and to have the opportunity to win business from them that we don't really audit ourselves and say, okay, how are these people going to perceive me? You know, how are they going to you know, look at my email and what, what impression will that give? Uh, you know, what does the footer of my email look like? You know, do, 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 do I have you know, all the, the infrastructure that that a, a company even ex- expects and demands for the contractors they work from. And that's really, really important, whereby you look at those things and you're not too eager to to pace ahead and to jump into contacting these companies, but set up the infrastructure first. So that's a really great lesson here. And it's something that sometimes I also need to be reminded of because I'm all for taking action and going all in. And I think... A lot of entrepreneurs, in my opinion, will sometimes kind of procrastinate uh, when it comes to reaching out to clients and procrastinate when it comes to actually going out and making sales, maybe due to fear of putting ourselves out there or insecurities. And we all feel that way, I'm sure, at some point in our lives. But you bring up a good point. If you're if you're going to reach out to these big clients and these, um, these people that you want to work with and, and maybe you want to land these contracts you still need to position yourself in a way where your brand looks like a proper brand. Your branding, your positioning is solid because they're not going to work with someone if they don't believe they're a legitimate business, especially with big companies like that, right? 
100%. And it's for, it's a case of finding a happy medium. It's not, not to say, like you said, to procrastinate and use this as an opportunity to not really put the work in. I'm talking about very, very, very serious and not terribly interesting work. Hmm. When I design work on logos, I'm not a designer myself, and I wouldn't claim I have any ability in that respect. But when I work with designers on creating logos for our clients, uh, then I what what I do in terms of that. If I may, just do one thing. Go for it. Go for it. Eric is, um, my my socket is not in, and the battery was just about to go. Which, <laughs> mediocre on my part but that's it so that we're, we're sorted no worries no worries now w when i work on a logo with the designers we work with um i go back and forth with them and i work on these logos and iterate these designs like 300 times 300 wow. times you know, and I'm, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, so I'll tell them to move, you know, a certain element of the graphic two millimeters this way and two millimeters this way and change the shade of the blue and this and that and the other. Uh, so this is by no means, you know, procrastinating or taking it easy. This is a case of saying, what can I do? I, I, I don't have the actual infrastructure behind me that these big, you know, corporations have. I don't have the fancy offices. I don't have maybe the, the fancy, you know, degrees within marketing or design, or I don't have the resources. I can't afford to advertise. I can't afford to do all of that. But boy, am I going to work 3,000 times harder than anybody else to make sure that I give the impression of being professional because I am professional. And then once you have the ammunition ready, um, you know, there's there's a famous quotation by Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Yes. And he says, military generals, the, the military generals who are successful, they put the work in before they go into battle. Um, the people who are unsuccessful, they, they are the ones who put the sweat in during the battle. So it's the preparation that's the key to success in warfare or in business. So put the work in, make sure that you have everything ready and prepared and structured, and then go out to these clients and say, you know what? I am the best of the best. Look at me. Look at my, you know, look at how I've done everything within my own company. And therefore, I'm going to be able to do the same for your company. MashaAllah. Honestly, you all heard it right here on this podcast, guys. Preparation is the key. And it's so huge, especially when it comes to landing big contracts, when it comes to working with high paying clients, wherever you are in your business, even if you're starting an e-commerce store, something where you don't have to interact with people. Even if you're one person, you want to make people feel when they land on your website, when they look at your brand, that they are looking at a professional, professional organization, that they are looking at a reputable business that will take care of them and their needs, no matter if you are one person, 10 people or 100 people. And that is really who you are competing with. You will be competing no matter what industry with companies that have the manpower behind them, that have tons of employees and graphic designers and salespeople to help them out. And so you have to understand how can I position myself in a way where I can compete with these guys. And Nadim dropped it right here on this podcast. Number one, preparation. Number two, guys, make sure your brand is reputable and it looks solid okay so take some time out of your day if you're going to 
maybe you, you don't feel like making that call today. You don't feel like going out and sending that email to that client. Take that time to go and see what can you fix on your website to make it look a little bit more professional? What can you do in terms of your branding to make it a bit more refined? And honestly, guys, I like to use myself as a great example within Omarpreneur, within this brand, this podcast and everything that I do, that's part of my branding. That's part of my way to grow this brand and really give the image that it's a reputable business and we do great work. And it's by creating content like this, by doing what I can, even though I don't have a huge team, I don't have a ton of employees. It's just me and a few assistants, but we get this done, guys. So there's no excuse. And there's so many resources available today. I don't ramble too much, Nadine, but guys, you have Facebook, you have Instagram, you have social media, you have things like Shopify, you have things like Wix, Squarespace, all of these software platforms that allow you to build beautiful websites, build amazing brands, build amazing content for completely free, which within Nadim's time was not available, by the way. Things like Squarespace, things like you know, uh, Wix and all of these website builders and all of these social media channels that allow you to put content out there for free were not available within Nadim's time, but he found a way to crack through the noise and still land big contracts. And that's why it's amazing to hear his story. Now, Nadim, I want to dive to the next stage in your story. There's an article on your website that I'd love to touch upon, and it's called the greatest day of my life or why this is the greatest day of my life. And it's an article that I enjoyed reading immensely. And it talks about how you got into a business that you weren't even looking to get into and end up ended up building a business within a space that you were not even passionate about or interested in, but still were able to then turn the situation around. Can you just Give us a little recap of that story, because I think this is one of my favorite stories. And I'd love for people watching this right now to hear this story. It's a long story. It's a long <laughs> story. And if anybody really wants to, to, to read the story, then it's on, on Azam Marketing's blog at azam.info, which is A-Z-A-M dot I-N-F-O, if you want to read the full version. But to, to give a very brief summary of the scenario, what I did was I took some of the, the money that we were blessed to earn within Azam Marketing and I invested that into a family member's uh, desire to, to create a company in the property sector. Uh, and I was hoping that would enable me to earn a residual income stream, uh, an income stream whereby I'd be making money without having to slave away for it. And isn't that something we all want, right, Abby? Of course. Um, and as part and parcel of that, throughout my business career, I've had people to this day, to this day, the number of people who contact me every month saying, I want to start a business, Nadim, you know, and I'd love to have you on board and I want to make you a business partner and we're both going to work away and make it a success and I always say no, 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 no to, to, to everybody because I know what's going to happen. It's the story of my life. It will be a 50-50 partnership. And then, you know, push comes to shove. The person who will be actually there doing all the work, you know, putting in the grind will be me. While, you know, Jonathan or Jamal will be out there saying, you know, my family member's ill and I have to, you know, go and see my aunt in Pakistan and stuff. So I've turned down every partnership you can imagine. 
I've never had a single relative or family member ever work for Azar Marketing. The number of parents who've contacted me saying, you know, get my, 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 my son or my daughter to, to work at your company. I've stayed clear of mixing business with family and it's something they tell you never to do. But this one opportunity, I thought I'd give this person a shot. And as part and parcel of uh, making sure that I wouldn't get roped into this business, we had long and lengthy contracts drawn up, which stated as part of them that I would only work on this business for a maximum of one hour a month, one hour a month, um, which I thought would end up becoming two or three or four hours, should the, the people involved need me for, you know, any anything major or critical. Um, lo and behold, lo and behold, as my worst fear came to fruition. The business was struggling, was mismanaged, ended up not being run the way I was promised it would be. Uh, people were complaining about not getting replies. Uh, the, the profitability was not there. The business was losing money. Um, and because I had invested into this and invested a significant sum, the, you know, I was beginning to sweat. <laughs> My money was at stake. My life savings were at stake. So lo and behold, my fears came to, to fruition and I gradually started spending more and more time working on this business, looking into the nooks and crannies, doing the kind of things I'd done for my clients over the previous couple of decades and seeing where the deficiencies were operationally and what I could do to turn things around. And and you, from, from what I remember reading in the story, as you mentioned, it all started with a very simple partnership where you were supposed to maybe pitch in a few hours a month and yeah. it would be a passive income stream, which I think a lot of people, when they look at business, as you mentioned, that's probably the dream, right? Like we want a business where we can just invest and we have a bit of money coming in at the end of the month. I mean, who doesn't want that? But as Nadim said, guys, beware of partnerships. Make sure if you are going to go into a partnership that you are absolutely 110% certain that your partner will be putting in their side of the work and they're fully committed because Nadim found himself in a position where he was actually forced to then take over and do all of the work himself. And consequently, his own business had to be put on the sidelines to take care of this. Now, how did you get out of this situation where you were now stuck working on a business that you initially weren't really uh, intended, you didn't intend to work on it and you wanted to focus on your marketing? How did you then overcome the struggle? So first things first, it was a sector I didn't have much of an expertise in. I, I, I knew uh, you know, a, a little bit about property, but I wouldn't claim to be at the top of the ladder in terms of my expertise. Mm -hmm. So the first thing, as we touched upon earlier, is, is to make sure that you're prepared. So I then stopped going as much to the marketing conferences and all those affiliate marketing conferences and the search marketing conferences, which I love so much and where all my friends hang out at. But I started going to any and every property event I could go to within London to, to, to build contacts and connections and to learn the ropes from the people who were much better at it than I was. And I would sit in the front row of every talk and I'd have my notebook and I'd still have them, you know, lying around my apartment here. Um, I would 
meticulously make notes in terms of what one could do to improve things and, and to, to maximize one's yield from, from these projects. Uh, I'd, I'd run up to these presenters after their lectures and you know, ask to sit with them for 15 minutes and half an hour and rack their brains and tell them about this business that the family member um, uh, had, had created and ask them what you know, they would advise me to do in terms of turning it from being a, you know, a loss maker into, into being successful. So once I learned from people who are better than me, I then started to implement the things that were necessary to turn this business from being uh, a loss maker and hemorrhaging money month mm -hmm. on month to turning it to the point of breaking even. Uh, that involved a lot of changes to projects and the infrastructure and how things were being done, um, looking into where money was being lost <coughs> in terms of various parts of the business and where the yield was not being maximized in other parts of uh, how they were doing things. And then the business started to gradually pick up. It started to pick up. We started to increase our returns. And then I turned into it, turned it into a profit-making business and then a massively profit-making business. And that's when this wasn't going to be a project I wanted to be part of until the day I died. It wasn't something I had an interest in, and it was actually very labor intensive. Uh, it's not the kind of business that you can just delegate to others and things will run and you can take it easy. And I wanted to return to doing other things with my life, both in my personal life and in terms of my professional aspirations. So once I got it to the position of profitability, I was, I was in a position where I could market the business for sale. And you basically, I want to touch on something you said, you, to be able to turn around this business, reached out to other people who were more experienced than you in this field. And I think that's something that any person in any business can relate to and learn from, which is if you're in a position where you might be struggling in your business, you might have a certain ceiling that you can't break through, or you might have a certain income level that you're trying to surpass. And no matter what you do, you're just, you can't get there a really great way to understand what you might be doing wrong or what else you could be doing that could exponentially grow your business is to go and learn from market leaders and people who actually have so much more experience than you in the field that you are trying to grow your business in. And that's what Nadim did. He went to these conferences, he put in the work, he went and learned, and he then actually reached out to them to pick their brains and learn even more. And I think that's the kind of tenacity that it takes to grow a business, especially in this day and age, to be able to humble yourself and be like, all right, maybe I don't know everything about this. Let me go and reach out to other people who have more expertise and let me see what I can learn that I can then take home and apply. And I think that is really the, the key differentiator between someone that will succeed and scale exponentially in business as an entrepreneur and someone who might get stuck. It's maybe being a little too proud in your skills and then consequently not being willing to learn from others. And it could be people who have more experience. Sometimes it could even be people who have less experience than you, but they might know a little something that you don't. And so there's always a lesson to learn. And yeah. 
Tom, you, I, you, I couldn't have said it any better myself. It's having the humility to say, you know what? I don't know everything about everything. And I see this as probably one of the biggest deficiencies within entrepreneurs. They get to a position where they've read a few articles on a few websites. They've maybe done one or two courses. They've been to one or two presentations. And they develop this attitude that they know it all. Even to this day, my staff members within the marketing agencies, they're, they're often perplexed and they say, Nadim, you spend all day on these marketing forums and Facebook groups and you go to every single lecture and presentation and seminar and conference and webinar. Um, Abby, I've probably been to at least a thousand, a thousand courses, classes, workshops, seminars. Wow workshops in the last 10 years a thousand wow and my staff members say you know it all Nadim you are like and and I say are you kidding me are you kidding me you know I don't even know the one percent of what I want to know and I ask them to go out and to read and study and go to these workshops and they're not interested they're not interested the minute when you feel that you know it all that is the death of your business. 100%. And I completely agree. And if there's one thing, guys, that you can take from this episode, then let it be this golden nugget that Nadim just dropped. Nadim, how did you then move on from this business? You were now positioned in a profit-making business. You were able to turn it around because you took the time to learn and to actually strive and to actually put in the work. It is now in a position where it's making profit. How were you then able to turn it around and maybe even exit the business and then focus your efforts back on your marketing agency. What did you do? One has to reverse engineer. So if you want to exit from a business and they actually say in business school, before you even start your business, you need to have your exit mapped out. Mm -hmm. You may not want to have an exit and it may be the case that you want to have this baby that you carry with you for, for life but even then you need an exit because you're not going to run even your, your blessed self, Abby. I'm not sure if you're going to, uh, you know, <laughs> want to be doing this when you're 85 years old. I don't know. I, I don't know. And so it's extremely important. And whenever I mentor people myself, the very first thing I ask them is, where do you want to be 10 years henceforth? And they're always thrown back. Like, I haven't come here to, you know, to, to talk about where I want to be in the year 2030, but the exit uh, and the long-term plan is so extremely important. So I knew that I didn't want to be involved with this property, property business ad infinitum forevermore. And so from day one of me getting involved with it, my goal was to set it up in a, into a position where it would be sellable. It would be sellable. So even to give you the example of something that uh, my mother tells me, because we should always bring in something. It's the month of Ramadan, and we should always maybe bring in some guidance from our parents. Shout out to our parents, man. They, they do so much for us. May Allah bless them. Absolutely. So... Um, for, for whatever the rights and the wrongs, I'm a single person. I'm a single person, not married. So my mother always tells me, she says, Nadim, you need to stay fit and healthy. You need to stay, stay slim and you need to look after your health. She, she says, because that makes you marriageable. 
that makes them bad people because then people are maybe more likely to consider you as marriage material, right? So we're talking about the exit, the exit from single dumbness. And she says that, and she says, look, when you, once you've got married, you can eat all the junk food in the world and have all the samosas and all of that. And, you know, and you can, you can just let yourself go. She's <laughs> the, the key point is you need to know what your goal is and then you need to prepare for that goal, whether it's in your personal life or whether it's in your professional life. So with this business, I knew what I'd, I had to do to create it, to create it to be sellable. Key to that is to make sure that it's raking an enormous amount of money every month. Money talks, but as part and parcel of that, like I was saying earlier, the infrastructure needs to be there. A buyer is only going to look at the business if all the paperwork is done properly. If yeah. if if if, if all the logistics are there, uh, so that was all shambolic and. I had to make sure that everything was ready on a plate for somebody to be able to pick that plate up and carry it forward themselves. And I think just to uh, really build upon that, it's that a lot of people might think, okay, that is probably something that I need to do if I wanted to exit, but it's not really important. Now, let me tell you one thing, and it's one thing that I also teach in our coaching program to my students in Omarpreneur, and it's that no matter what business you have, you need to build the business in a way where you have SOPs, you have standard operating procedures, you have manuals for doing certain tasks, and you have certain how-to guides within your business, even if you're just one person. Because a lot of times, even within my marketing agency, I have a digital marketing agency, and it's a bit different from yours, Nadim, it's mainly Facebook ads. But even when I started and I was just one person, I had a process for building out these client campaigns and that process involved a lot of small steps and to make sure that I didn't make any mistakes, whenever I would create a campaign, I would list out what these steps are. So then the next time I just referred to that guide and I could do it again. And the benefit of that is guys, when it comes to hiring or maybe getting some assistance in your business, hiring a virtual assistant, hiring a full-time employee, having these manuals in your business, having these how-to guides, being able to have a business that is positioned not only for an, for an exit, but positioned where you can delegate tasks and where you can bring in someone else to do the same job you're doing is so key when it comes time to scale your business and grow your business. So I think not only does this apply to exiting, but it also applies to running your business. It's so important to be able to have a business where you have certain processes, you have certain tasks, and they're clearly outlined so that if you need to hire someone else, you're able to say, hey, this is the guide. Here's how you do it. Go ahead and just follow this manual. What do you think about that, Nadim? I 1 million percent agree with you. And it's something I'm very obsessive about myself with any business I've been involved with is having the procedures honed down. Manuals, like you say, processes are so so massively important with any business because that's the only way you can scale up. If you have processes in place, then you can replicate those. If you don't, then you're just going to be firefighting all the time. So I totally agree with you. And especially if you are looking to exit from a business. So this is a business you're not going to be involved with one day. The buyers are going to look into this. I can tell you that in terms of us exiting from this business, the process from start to finish was a four-year process. And in terms of the lawyers with the people who eventually bought the business, the lawyers spent one and a half years asking us questions 
about the business and its operations to the nth degree in terms of how you know, the extent to which we were adhering with all the relevant legislation, for example. So I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to have all the pieces put in the right places, especially if you're looking to, to a major exit. Completely agree. And this is how you positioned yourself for an exit, Nadim, and then we're able to sell the business successfully. But as we both know, and because I read this, and guys, if you have a few minutes today, tomorrow, uh, maybe after Iftar, before Iftar, I fully 110% recommend, guys, take your time, go to azam.info, A-Z-A-M.info, and read the story. Read the story. It's, I think, one of the, the first articles that you'll find on the homepage, which is why today is the greatest day of my life. It's about a five to 10 minute read, and it will completely inspire you as to what's possible. And just the amount of struggle that you might face as an entrepreneur, or I'm sure most of you have already faced, and what it takes to get through it, but that you can get through it, and you will become stronger by overcoming these obstacles. Nadim, you are simply an inspiration, my man, to all of us here with your story and what you've been able to achieve. I have one more question that I want to dive into, inshallah, before we start uh, taking questions from the audience. And guys, just to let you know, we will have an audience Q&A with Nadim at the end of this episode. So whoever has any questions for him right now, whoever wants to ask him your burning questions on marketing, on exiting a business, on scaling your business, on business growth, even maybe on his journey, go ahead and drop your questions in the comments and I'll make sure to put him on the spot for you and ask him all of your questions, inshallah. So Nadim, you were in a position during the last recession with your company where you were still able to come out the other side stronger, more successful, and growing your business even during the 2008 recession. Now we are nearing a similar uh, struggle economically. Okay, a, a lot of the businesses are closing down. A lot of people are maybe finding it hard to grow their business if they're in brick and mortar. It's even a bigger struggle, but what what are your recommendations for someone that might be facing struggle in their business right now? And what are some strategies that it, they can implement to perhaps grow in this in, in a time like this, in, in a time of an economic recession or where the economy is maybe contracting? How can you still expand your business and go against the grain? That's a really, really good question, Abi. If you look into history, some of the biggest known companies in the world were actually created during past recessions. And that goes to prove that the opportunities will always be there. It will be more difficult. It will be more difficult. But at the same time, it will be easier because when everybody around you is losing faith, losing hope, beginning to retrench, that's your, that's your opportunity to go on the attack. That's something we did in 2008, 2009, and 2010. We looked into the opportunities that had come about with other companies not being in, in, in their, their spaces within marketing, and we then exploited those gaps that had been created in the market space. For example, to be more specific, advertising becomes cheaper during a recession. Yes. So one of the clients that we are working with now, which is a, a motor vehicle company, um, they've just bought one of the biggest um, 
raft of advertising campaigns on television and radio that, that they have ever done. Why? Because it's as cheap as chips now. Every other company is, is, is culling their television and radio advertising campaigns. And so for you to be able to buy advertising through various means today is much cheaper than six months ago. So there will always be opportunities. The key element within that is your mindset. If you have a mindset that oh, the world has ended, the world, the, the world has ended, the coronavirus is going to destroy me. There's a saying that I hear on Pakistani and Indian television, and I don't know how, I don't even know if you would understand this, Abby, but I'm going to say it and I'm going to embarrass myself for speaking in Urdu for the first time ever on, on one of these. Please, please do, please do. I'm sure we right. have a lot here that can understand. Go for it. But but what they say is, Corona said, right? Do not be fearful of Corona. Corona said, Larna, right? So fight Corona. So don't be fearful of Corona, fight Corona. And this is what you need to do in terms of your future aspirations now. As we begin to come out of lockdown, say, okay, I am going to rise to this, to this challenge now. The coronavirus has been disastrous for all of us. And boy, have my businesses suffered. But that means I have to rise to the challenge. I have to say to God, I need you, God. I need your support at this difficult time. Please give me the, the energy and the strength and, and your blessings to be able to come out of this fighting and to be as successful and even more successful than ever. I mean, definitely. And I completely agree with that mindset. And honestly, I think for Mindset Nadim, again, you are someone that has been through things that most other entrepreneurs would have probably felt like they just wanted to give up. And, and again, especially with that story that we talked about earlier, you were roped into a business that you weren't even passionate about. It wasn't even an industry that you wanted to work in, but you were consequently roped into it and you still had to make the most of it and you had to build it to be profitable and then build it in a way where you could exit, but you still did it because of the mindset. And I think we don't talk about that enough, but mindset is so key in entrepreneurship, in business, and even in life. And it's really how you approach scenarios. And again, it's you can't control what's around you, but you can always control your reaction to everything that's around you, right? So you can't control anything happening to you externally, but you can control your reaction to it. And I think that is so important to always realize and take charge of. It's our ability to decide how we want to react to external stimulus. How do we want to respond to things that happen around us? And we can kind of give up and give in to that dark side, or we can consequently see the light and fight forward. And I think a great example of that is our Prophet wasallam. all the struggles that he's faced in his journey to calling people to Islam, but he has never once said, I'm going to stay home and I'm going to give up. He still kept going no matter how hard it got. And I think there's a lesson in that for all of us here as Muslims to learn from as well. Now, Nadim, uh, we are going to dive into some audience questions, if that's okay with you. Are you ready? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. 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 So we have some a few people who have some questions for you in the audience. And guys, uh, as we're now going to dive into the audience Q&A, 
go ahead and ask your questions. This is your last chance to get your answers directly from Nadim. He's so generous to share with us his time and his value and his knowledge. So make sure to ask him your questions now, inshallah, and get your answers as we are live on this podcast. So the first one we'll dive into is this one here. So how does it feel now, Nadim, that you're already at the peak of your career after all those challenges that you surpassed in the past? Alhamdulillah, it, it's very touching that somebody would say I'm at the peak of my career, but uh, I, I wouldn't even say I'm at the 1% of what yeah. I'd like to, uh, with the blessings of, of our Lord, be able to, 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 to do. I have huge initiatives that I've always had in the pipeline, and I haven't had the chance to execute them because I have been sidetracked with these other ventures. The one bit of advice I would suggest for others, and it's a mistake that I've made, and I think the most important thing in life, they say, is rather than making mistakes yourself, is to learn from other people who've made those mistakes so you don't have to. So you don't have to. And the one bit of advice I would share in terms of where I have perhaps gone wrong in life is I have been sidetracked from the goals I had. So you know, talking about Azar marketing, for example, so many parts of our, our business are now very, very substandard. I'd be the first, part, first person to say that, our website and various things. And I think the most important thing that I would advise people is to be focused on your own goals. As long as they are halal goals and you do them with the humility to know that at the end of the day, the success can only come about if you have the Lord's blessings, then put 1 million percent of your energy into those and do not allow other people to sidetrack you. There's a saying from one of my favorite figures, Warren Buffett, probably the greatest investor of, of our era, and he says, the difference between successful people and very successful, very successful people is very successful people say no to almost everything. Mm -hmm. So Warren Buffett doesn't even have a computer. Now, this is a guy who owns a large chunk of Coca-Cola and some of the biggest corporations in America and makes billions of pounds, billions of pounds for his shareholders. But he doesn't even have a computer because he does not want to be sidetracked from his purpose, which is to grow Berkshire Hathaway and provide value to his shareholders. Laser so, focus. So I'm not, I, I am a, a long distance away from being at my peak. And I think we can all relate to that. I think no entrepreneur ever uh, will ever think that they feel at their peak because I, I, I think that... Uh, how we operate as entrepreneurs and even as people in life is that we operate in cycles and we have a certain goal that we set to ourselves. We reach that goal at some point, and then there's going to be a new challenge that we face mm -hmm. to be able to get to that next step. And so there's always another cycle that you can go through and, and it, it's kind of a never ending path, right? And that's really the reality of life is that it's a never ending journey. There is no finish line. It's just a matter of it's a constant cycle where you are overcoming different challenges to get to that next level. And with every cycle, it has its own challenges. It has its own rewards. But then you must set yourself a new goal every time. Or else if you don't, 
then you stagnate because you feel like that's it. I, I'm at a point where I can't learn anything new. As you mentioned, Nadim, I'm at my best. And then what happens? You stagnate and you pretty much just rot away if you're not constantly learning. And we all know the importance of knowledge in Islam as well. So thank you for that answer, Nadim. There's a few more questions that I want to dive into, inshallah. So uh, let's go ahead and continue, guys. If you have more questions, drop them in the comments. We'll try to get to each one of them uh, as much as possible. But again, I also want to be conscious of Nadim's time here. So let's go ahead and dive into the next one. So this is a question that I personally am also excited to learn about. Which client or which project did you have the most fun working with? That's a difficult question. <laughs> very, very difficult question because I think we've had the um, the opportunity to work with way more than a thousand clients in in countries around the world, and I, I enjoy working with all our clients. The one thing I would say is, as much as I love the big clients, the 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 Disney's or the Dell's. Uh, we've had the opportunity to to, to work with uh, Google and provide services to them. As much as, as much as I love working with the big brands, it's the smaller clients I really have a passion uh, to, in terms of working with because that's where I can implement the most change. And me and my team can go into these startup companies uh, and really begin to share our expertise uh stop them from maybe making the mistakes that our previous clients have done or that we've done in the past, save them money and in their, and fast track, fast track them to success. So, you know, some of these startup companies that we worked with where um, I'll give you an example with a company we were involved with. Um, they were called Purple Parking. They, they owned the biggest car park in Europe uh, by Heathrow Airport in London. And the vast majority of their sales were being driven offline. Now, we got involved with that business. We turned it from be, you know, dealing with customers through call centers and very labor and money intensive means to deal with customers to, to shifting them to becoming a 92% online business in terms of lead acquisition and customer management. And... We turned them, we, we, we got to the point, and I can't share figures, but by, by the blessings of, of God, we turned them into a position where they were literally making millions and millions and millions of pounds a year. So that's the kind of company I really enjoy, whether a smaller or medium-sized company. At the end of the day, working with a Disney, it's, it's fun and it's enjoyable, but you're a, you're a very small cog in a very, very major uh, system. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And uh, with, the, with these small companies, that's where you can have the most major impact. Whereas again, with these big companies, as you mentioned, it's like, there's so much going on that you're just one piece of the pie. Uh, so amazing answer there. And it was really insightful for us to learn about that and get a bit of an insight into your company, Nadim. So I have one more for you here and maybe we'll dive into a few more if you allow me to take a bit more of your time. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So one here, an audience asks is, give me simple steps on how to keep the momentum when the competition gets tough. What do I tell myself? And I think I also want to know this because Nadim, you're someone who's overcome so much struggle and someone else commented on this live that your positivity is radiating even on this episode. And so I completely agree to that and I tested that. And so I want to know, what's your secret? How come you can show up every single day with a smile and do the work? 
there's many, many layers to it. I think the fundamental foundation for me is to know my purpose in this world. So everything I do, I do for a purpose. In terms of the money, for example, uh, as many of my peers will know, I live a, a fairly frugal life, for example, but I have a purpose for why I would like to make that All right, I money think we it's, it's, Okay, perfect. Then you are you have all the more the motivation to be able to put in the hours and to work with the focus that's required. So know your purpose. That's different for for different people, but um if you have a name then you can you can work harder and be more focused as regards that. Your mindset is the key element to success and this is where so many business people fail because they're focused on their businesses more often than not, but they're not able to step back and look at the bigger picture. Why am I doing this? What's the bigger picture? Am I doing this to provide an income for my family? Am I doing this to serve God? Am I doing this for my neighbors? Am I doing this for my community? Do I want to feed the poor? Do I want to help people out there? So what's your purpose? That's different for different people. Your psychology is the most important thing. And Tied to that is your physical well-being. That's something which I have really focused on in recent times. It's very easy to put in the hours and to slave away and sit in front of the computer and, and, and put in the hours. But if your physical health is not in tip-top shape, then you will not be able to, to put in the hours. You will not be able to go through the grind when everything is against you. So Focus on your physical health, eat the right food, do your exercise, and make sure that your vehicle towards success is running as efficiently as possible. And I completely agree with that, Nadim. I think it's really interesting you bring that up because I think it's not mentioned enough. A lot of people, when we talk about mindset, they just talk about, again, the mental aspect, but it is a holistic approach. And again, it's... Uh, I want to relate it to one of the lessons in my uh, program that I teach my students, and it's that success is a trifecta, okay? And there's three elements to it. Number one, it's the mindset, the spiritual side of it, your brain, what you're feeding it, what kind of information is going into it. Is it positive? Is it negative? Number two, it's your health, right? And that is so important because as you mentioned, if you're fighting in business, if you're fighting in business and you're struggling and you're facing issues, but you're also fighting inside of your body, fighting against tiredness and fatigue because you're eating too much sugar or maybe you're not active enough or you're not taking care of yourself. Now you're facing two different struggles that you have to go through every single day. And the key is to try to minimize the amount of fighting that you do in a day, if that makes sense, so that you can have a full battery to focus on the business and the issues at hand. And so eliminate the other issues when it comes to health, when it comes to feeling fatigued, feeling tired, feeling like you're not eating the right foods. I think it's so key to wake up and have a routine where you feel energized, where you feel fit, where you feel like you have a clear mind so that you can truly tackle the issues in your business at the best of your ability. So 100% agree. It's something that not a lot of people talk about. So I'm happy you mentioned it on this podcast. Nadim, thank you so much. We are going to go through one or two more questions, inshallah, in the comments. And one of them that I have here is, let's go ahead and take and pull up one. I had one here in a second. 
So there you go. So how did you get access to pitching to multinational companies? We talked about that a little bit on the episode uh, when it came to how you brand yourself and how you position your brand. Um, he, the audience says, I only have access to local businesses and home businesses who are too afraid to spend money. So it's someone who's looking to maybe pitch to bigger companies. Can we? Is there any advice that we can give? This is the downside of working with the smaller clients is quite often their finances are stretched. And this is something we've experienced that as our marketing. So as much as as much fun as it may be working with the, the smaller guys, their the finances are, are stretched and they will quibble, you know, even $50 or $100 of expenditure. Uh, whereas obviously with the big companies, that's not so much of an issue. And I will say once again, you know, make sure that your website and your proposal documentation is the very best it can possibly be. That's so extremely important. And if anybody wants some um, some some guidance along those lines, then if it's okay with yourself, Abby, I would be very happy to 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 be able to to give people my email address, and I would be happy to to maybe look at what they're using to reach out to clients. Would that be okay with yourself? Of course. Actually, that would be amazing. Guys, this is the value that you get for being part of this community and how generously Nadim is offering his services. I will drop your email in the description or you can even maybe mention it out loud right now, inshallah. And yeah, I would love it for if you could offer something to this community, that's just an amazing bonus. So please go ahead. Maybe it's my my you know my own mediocre way of, of trying to give something because we're just about to enter the, the last 10 days of Ramadan. And this is a time for us to all unite and support one another. So I will give my email address. And if anybody would like to, to show me what their proposal documentation looks like or how they reach out to clients, then I would be happy to look through those and maybe give some feedback. So Amazing. my email Amazing. address is Nadim, my, my first name. So N-A-D-E-E-M, M for Mike at azam.net. So that's A-Z-A-M, M for Mike again, dot N-E-T. So if you want to show me what you use to try and uh, reach out to clients, that would be uh, something I could look through and then share some feedback in terms of... The thing I would also say, very importantly, sorry to interject, is rather than jumping into the biggest, you know, Fortune 500 companies, for example, it may be a case of stepping up the ladder one step at a time. So reaching out to medium-sized companies, a great opportunity and a missed opportunity by lots of small entrepreneurs is to look into the public sector. So quite often local authorities, your local council, your local government, they actually outsource contracts and many people don't know about these contracts that are available and they actually have uh, legislate in terms of their legislation they're actually required to get to 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 outsource a certain ratio of their work to smaller companies they're actually required to do that in terms of their legislation so look into the opportunities out there and then obviously if you're getting contracts from the government whether it's local government or central government Hopefully, the issues in terms of lower payments or non-payments, which is also an issue in terms of smaller clients, will, will be mitigated against. 
Amazing. And that's a really interesting point that you bring up. And again, just thank you so much for your generous offer, Nadim. I've dropped Nadim's email in the comments, guys. So if you have a website, if you have a proposal document that you want him to look over, go ahead and send him an email because he's generously offered his expertise. And this is the value you get, guys, from being part of this community and showing up on this podcast. So make sure to invite others to join us, inshallah, in this group and in this community so that they could also benefit, share the love and spread the benefit this Ramadan. Now, Nadim, you brought up one thing that is really interesting is that your local governments will sometimes have these contracts that they can offload. And it's even the same for us in Canada. A lot of marketing agencies actually work with the government to work on certain contracts. And uh, usually it's actually pretty straightforward contracts. They pay well, and it's a great way to get your foot in the door. How do you learn more about these contracts? Do you go on the government websites? Is there a certain resource that you kind of need to go for? Google it. There are actually directories and resources whereby these contracts, by law, these contracts have to be published. They have to be published online. Now, some of them may not be suitable. There may be major contracts and you may need a lot of staff and resources to be able to have a shot at winning those contracts. But like I said, some of those contracts are specifically required to reach out to and to, to hire smaller contractors. So look at the, di the, the directories in your local area and in your country. Amazing. Amazing. So you heard it here, guys. This is just a golden nugget. One of many. We'll end with one more audience question. And then I have two or three for you, Nadim. And inshallah, we'll close off with that. Again, I, we've already taken an hour of your time and so much knowledge was shared, guys. Make sure that you drop a heart, drop a thank you for our guest, Nadim, for sharing his generous time and value with us. One question here is, how do you market yourself to attract clients? So do you yourself engage in any marketing for your agency? Do you put out ads? What do you do exactly? I think the biggest means to which we recruit clients is now word of mouth. Uh, okay. When you've been in an industry for, for 23 years, then you develop a, a fair presence within that amongst a, a ratio of the, the, the community. So we... we I, I think of late, I think when I last looked at our statistics, 92% of our clients actually come to us through word of mouth. So we don't have to advertise to them. But necessary is to keep your brand in, in the limelight. And that's the reason why I will make a point of being an active part of communities out there, whether they're online communities on social media, posting, blogging, writing articles, uh, you know, being guests on podcast shows like this um, and various other things I do. That's really important to keep your foot on the throttle and to make sure that you continue to power ahead, even when you're in the position as we fortunately have been where, quite frankly, we've got too much business and where we're struggling to be able to keep up with it is to make sure that you're active online and then offline. So necessary is to go to events, go to business events in your local community. So every town, every city will have business events for local entrepreneurs, for the community. Get out there, take your business cards with you. It's cheap as chips to print business cards and give them out to every single person you meet at these events. Don't be shy. I know it can be quite daunting to have to go to these events, but they're all friendly, amicable people. 
I, that's been my experience. So speaking to them in a polite way and telling them about your services, um, it's, it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. For every 100 people you, you speak to, you'll get one you'll get one piece of business. So you need to make sure that the odds are in your favor. Go to as many events as possible. Reach out to people in your local community. Cheaper forms of advertising are those such as in your local newspaper. We can't all afford to advertise in the Washington Post or the New York Times, but your local newspaper will, especially now, as I was saying, especially now with this coronavirus situation where everybody else is pulling their advertising, you can go out to them. And I'll share a little secret with you in terms of us being an agency and negotiating contracts with these sources is they ask for their rate card and they will give you the prices for you know, particular form of advertising in their newspaper or ma magazine. And people are often under the impression that you can get a 10% discount and they'll they'll say to you, you know, if you advertise in the month of May and you sign, sign on the dotted line before the 31st of May, we'll give you a 10% discount. And then they'll email you a week later saying, actually, if you sign on the dotted line by, by this Friday, we'll give you a 20% discount. It's all rubbish. You can advertise in these newspapers and magazines which are struggling to get advertisers and get a discount of 80% of their rate cards. So if they're telling you it's costing you, it's going to cost $1,000, you can get, you can negotiate them down to $200. So don't let them take you for a ride. 100%. And Nadim, you brought a few things that I want to elaborate on. Number one, guys, is your ability to grow your exposure for your brand is directly correlated to how much business you get and how many sales you make. And in today's modern social media age, so many, and I would say almost all resources are available to you for free guys. So even if it's something as simple as creating your Facebook page, your Facebook profile, connecting with more potential clients, talking more about what you do and about your business, fixing up your profile, make it look a little bit more professional, fix up your, your Facebook page and go ahead and put more content on there. If you want, just like Abdul Shakur mentioned in the comments, start your own community, start your own Facebook group, just like this one here that relates to your expertise. And there's so many options online for free that you can go ahead and build exposure for your brand, Instagram, Twitter, and all these platforms completely for free. And as Nadi mentioned as well, locally, guys, there's organizations like BNI, there's organizations where you can literally go and say, this is what I do. And these are the type of clients that I'm looking for. And as you get to know these people around you and you get to network, they will naturally refer clients to you. So make sure that you approach it from both sides, offline and online. I'm a big, I'm a big huge advocate for online. I don't talk about offline enough. So honestly though, the more channels that you have available to yourself, the better. So make sure that you do both if you can, inshallah. And as Nadim said, now is the time to advertise. Even in terms of Facebook advertising, the cost per click has went down by over 50%. It is super cheap, guys. So if if you want to, if you've been thinking about putting out a Facebook ad, go ahead and try it now because now is when it's super cheap. No one is advertising. So the cost is super low. Nadim, thank you so much. And I think everyone here can relate to just how much value was dropped on this podcast. It's been absolutely insane. I think honestly, one of the most valuable episodes we've ever had on this podcast so far. We haven't had many, so I hope that you will also join us again in the future, inshallah, to drop even more because I know that we've just touched upon a tiny 
tip of the iceberg when it comes to your knowledge and expertise. So I, inshallah, I look forward to having you on again. But before we end, there are a few questions that I'd like to ask you personally. And I like to ask to every single guest. Number one is, if you could meet Nadim from 1997, who was just starting up his marketing agency and he was just getting his foot in the door and he was building up this project and you could tell him one thing with everything that you know now to kind of give him a little push, maybe give him a little edge, give him a little help. What would that one thing be? I think the alpha and the omega of the lesson I would give myself is focus, focus, focus. For whatever the successes we've had, it has taken a long time, and I would be the first to admit that. And I would say in terms of the, the deficiency I've had, there has been a lack of focus. I've got involved in projects. I've got, uh, got roped into assignments that ended up being failures failures for me, maybe not necessarily for the people who uh, got me involved with those or my company involved. So I think that's the one thing where I've fallen short is I've not had the laser focus that every successful person, person, whether they're a sports star or they're an entrepreneur, says is just so vitally ingredient, so vitally important in terms of being the ingredient to success. I have it now. I have it now. I've learned my lessons. But the younger Nadim, I would tell him, do not allow other people to you know, turn you into a shadow for their aspirations. Mm -hmm. And that is so important. And I think if there is one lesson that you can probably take and be successful no matter what you do, it is that laser focus. And we talked slightly about Warren Buffett and what he does to stay focused. I myself... I make sure that I don't have any applications on my phone, anything that distracts me. I log in, I do my work, I log out, and I stay focused on the task at hand and on the business that I want to work on. So guys, focus is the key. It really is the key. Don't spread yourself out too thin. Don't try to start a bakery and a gym at the same time. Don't try to start a marketing agency and a coaching business for mindset at the same time. Pick one thing that you want to be great at and then go ahead and go all in on that one thing because even within that one thing, there will always be more to learn. There will always be more that you can achieve and bigger milestones that you can hit, inshallah. Nadim, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. If I were to ask you one last question, inshallah, then we'll dive into how people connect, can connect with you. It's what's the biggest challenge that you had to overcome in your business? So we talked a little bit about that story with the property business and what you were roped into. If you were to just think about those last 23 years, what was the biggest challenge you had to overcome and how did you overcome it? That's an excellent question. That's a, and it's, it's a difficult question because there are so many challenges. So to pick out one uh, is not straightforward. I'd say the biggest issue we faced was uh, being able to scale up the business without having resource available to us. I, I wasn't able to have staff. Believe it or not, I'm you know, one of the few people who started an internet business without having the internet, without wow. having the internet. So going to the point where I actually was um, deliberately enrolling myself onto courses at a local college, not for the purpose of doing the course. And I, I did do it. I did do it, but that wasn't my 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 main aim. It was so that I would have the student card so that I could go into the computer laboratory and run my own business from there. So lack of resources is, is very painful. And I 
fear that's probably a position that meant much of our audience is in. But that's when you've got to really be focused and say, I will make a success of this. These are challenging and difficult times. I don't have staff. I, I can't afford to advertise. Things are not working out for me. I'm not recruiting clients. I'm not making money. We made a loss from 1997 to 2001, four years of losses, four years of losses, uh, as many a company does in its nascent stage. And that's when it's extremely, extremely tough. But that's where you've got to have your faith in your Lord. And that's where you have to have faith in yourself to say, I am on the right path and I will make a success of this. 100% Nadim, And that is why you're an inspiration for to us all. And honestly, it's you guys all heard it here. It's all about how long you stick it out when things get tough because no business at all is going to be easy, guys. And a lot of people think, you know, entrepreneurship, they make it very glamorous these days and, and they make it like the cool thing. But the truth is, guys, if you're going to go into this, you have to know that you're going to need to roll with the punches and there's going to be a lot of punches to roll with. So a lot of times you won't make money. A lot of times you will struggle. But the key difference between those who actually end up being successful and those who actually get left behind is how long you're willing to stick it out when mm. things get tough. That's really the key differentiator. And there are a lot of people on that journey, on that path that have quit and that have given up when things got tough. But if you just keep going at the very tip where you know, you've know you rolled with all the punches and you've struggled, but you're still keep going, there's not much competition there. That's the truth. There's not much competition when you get to that point. So guys, just make sure to stick it out and inshallah, you will get there. And Adim, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for joining us on this podcast. Honestly, I can't even express how much value and how much I enjoyed this podcast and all the knowledge you've shared with us. How can people connect with you? How can people support you? How can people learn more about your business and what you do? Where should they go? So I think the best avenue, firstly, in terms of Facebook, both my company, Azam Marketing. So once again, spelled Azam as in A-Z-A-M or A-Z-A-M, depending on which form of English uh, people prefer to use. Azam Marketing has a profile across social media on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook and LinkedIn. At the same time, I do in terms of as an individual as well. So I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on LinkedIn. And so you're welcome to connect with me. And I share lots of valuable resources, tools, tips, and tricks in terms of what we have learned from our history within business. So you're welcome to connect with me. And then we have a blog. Our blog, I think I mentioned it earlier on, is azam.info. So that's A-Z-A-M dot I-N-F-O. And once again, I, I blog not as often as I should, but I blog and we've got hundreds of articles from when the blog was first launched in 2009 with lots and lots of advice and guidance for entrepreneurs. Amazing. And I have been on that blog myself and I've learned so much from reading the articles. And I think one of the reasons why they're so well written and so poignant is because of your history as a journalist and your ability to write amazing and engaging content. So I think that's why it's just so much fun to read, guys. Make sure you check it out. Read the stories on there. They are so inspiring. And I myself have enjoyed them immensely. So 
Nazim, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast again. It was an absolute pleasure. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Those of you who are with us on the live, who have joined us on the live, it was an absolute pleasure. For those of you who are going to watch the recording, make sure that you do join our Facebook group to attend these episodes live. And make sure if you're watching it on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, to subscribe so that you can be notified for the coming episodes, inshallah. I look forward to the next episode and to having you back on this podcast, Nadim. Thank you for joining us, my man. Thank you very much for inviting me. I really do appreciate you inviting me onto this fabulous podcast series. I'm a huge fan of what you do and what you're trying to do in terms of nurturing entrepreneurs. And may, may you be blessed in terms of that endeavor. I, I appreciate it immensely. Thank you so much, Nadim. Assalamu alaikum, guys. Take care. Wa alaikum salam. <laughs>